Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Okay, so on today's episode, we have Gab and Zoe. Gab is an ED doctor and Zoe is an ED nurse, and they have recently started an infant first aid and CPR course called First Steps. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've got them in here today um, to chat about what to expect when you take your child to ED, um, good signs to look out for, good ways to manage a sick child at home versus when you should take them into hospital and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And on Instagram we um, asked asked our listeners um, what questions they would like answered. So we got some of them sent through as well. Um, Would you girls like to introduce yourselves? Welcome. Yeah, thank thank you you very much. Um, So I started working with Gabby three years ago. Was I pregnant? You were pre-pregnant. Pre-pregnant. Yeah, I'd moved down to Tweed Heads Emergency. So I originally started at Logan, Logan Emergency. Um, did my training there in children's emergency. Um, so yeah, I've been, I was in the field for six years before I had Huey mm-hmm. and yeah, met Gabby mm. working at Tweed. Yeah. And I'm an emergency doctor. I've been working locally for five or six years and I've been at Tweed uh, since 2016. Mm. Um, yeah. Nearly finished my emergency specialist training program. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, I say nearly finished, but it's two and a half years away. But that's like that nearly, in the scheme of things. Yeah, that's near. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we, again, sort of got together with our other founder, Steph, because mm. um, Steph and Zoe were new mums and mm. identified a big gap in the market for something that was approachable and manageable for time for parents yeah. to, um, to attend and that's where mm. first steps just to kind of introduce Steph she actually uh, started working at Logan with me years ago so we've had a really big journey together and there's a lot that has happened in in our time working together that yeah really solidified this decision to go forward with this so yeah. yeah and can I say I've done one of the courses um this is Sophie speaking and even though before I had Poppy I worked as a doctor I learned so many invaluable honestly awesome. that's not just me saying that because yeah. you guys are here um <laughs> and you've agreed to come <laughs> and chat to us I mean um but yeah I learned so many skills and tools that um yeah, that have really equipped yeah. me to feel kind of safer with Poppy at home and that kind yeah. of thing. And not um, alone. Yeah, not, no, alone. not alone. And I, th- alone. And I think yeah. that mm-hmm. your mind, like even if you have worked in the medical mm-hmm. field, I don't know if, Zoe, you've found this since mm-hmm. having Huey, yeah. um, <laughs> but um, your whole mindset changes yeah. and all of a yeah. sudden when it's your own child, you're oh, yeah. like, you're going oh, gosh, thinking, what do I do? Yeah, yeah. The confidence you have, like, as a nurse or a doctor, when you have a child, you're like, I've got this. It'll be fine. Yeah. Like, nothing's going to bother me. Mm. It's and most, actually almost the opposite. I think I'm more paranoid than Well, and I think, you've got, I think you've got used to looking after children in a place that is so equipped. Yeah. And then all That's of a right. sudden, like, yeah. 
Yeah. I'm that really bad parent that like barely has a band-aid in the That's house. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm the one that always like runs out of Panadol when it's like yeah. 2 a.m. and yeah. your child has a fever. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I remember um, that time I did heart surgery on this guy. Oh, oh wait, yeah. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you just go back and sit in the corner? <laughs> no, I'm the pleb. I'm the pleb. I have, have to have the balance in this room. <laughs> yeah, you know, we said that the podcast is realistic, so we've just got to have one pleb. <laughs> You're welcome. Plebby. That's why we. Um, one of the reasons that we wanted to create the podcast is because there's so. M- <laughs> um, you're not on our podcast, right? You want to be, but you're not. So just stick oh, to sorry, your we're actually course. creating our own podcast, so we didn't tell you. Yeah, we're recording. Yeah. You've been here for ten minutes. So <laughs> calm down. Okay, that's actually one of the reasons why we created the course is because um, there's so much anxiety and uncertainty mm. and overwhelm mm. around, um, you know even caring for a child with a fever, let alone a child who's really seriously unwell. Mm-hmm. So um, everyone who's done our courses said to us at the end that it actually feels so much better mm-hmm. about going home and feel prepared um, in case of mm-hmm. any sort of situation, mm-hmm. be it car crash or a drowning, anything like that. They've got the first kind of first steps, corny, first steps yeah. 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 To, yeah. to do something to help. And, um, and there's yeah. so many different parents you've got your helicopter parents you've got your parents that are real like relaxed and Mm. um even those relaxed ones it's important for them to know if you do get put in a situation at home i.e choking or drowning Mm. that you know the basics Mm. of what to do especially around summer especially on holidays because usually correct me if i'm wrong Mm. these are the times that things do yeah we we do lose a little bit of focus um the year gets busy uh, you know, the house can get messy and things can get left around that maybe Bub shouldn't be touching. But it's funny you said helicopter parents versus relaxed parents. We were actually talking about this the other day, just kind of in this area itself, um, where you do have both types. And it's like, well, we don't necessarily want parents to just helicopter mm. and stop our kids from playing and being free. Mm. And we want to reduce that anxiety down to. Because that's what it is, serve. isn't it? It's the let's anxiety serve. of the parents. A hundred percent. Worried yeah. that something might happen. Might happen. Yeah. On the, on, you know, on the extreme scale. And then it does stop your kid from really developing those skills of being able to go to the beach and jump in the water or mm. run through the rainforest. It's, it is about learning how to sit back, observe, reduce the anxiety and and know that you know you've you've looked at the environment first where where are they okay cool what what could be dangerous in the in the bush here maybe some snakes or whatever but now I know if something did happen I can I can kind of yeah mm. yeah manage and it unfortunately no matter how much you helicopter like yeah. things still do go wrong I actually like, find so. I have a, a girlfriend of mine yeah. and uh, you know she's a yeah she's a helicopter parent it for some reason happens more to her these situations than it does to me because I feel like the the energy on it is just you know she's waiting for it to happen so well these kids aren't learning either how to do it then yes they're being stopped from learning these skills because of parent anxiety which is Mm. totally normal because Mm. That was something I didn't realise I was going to have, but I do have that too. I have been up to the emergency department probably more than yourself who isn't in the field. I'm there all the time. 
<laughs> it's just me again. I've just got <laughs> Huey here. Um, but I think being prepared as well, I'm able to really kind of prep that situation for going and we'll get into this later about going to the emergency department just Mm. having a few basic skills to be like okay cool I'm gonna do a b and c and then we can go up yeah um yeah and And that's the point I I think one thing I guess that I want to know is when you because I've done a CPR course Mm. and I cannot remember it to save myself (laughs) and I probably and I think we all should probably have a refresher every like you know every every, yeah yeah, because things change there's different rules you know and I if I get put in a situation where my child swallows something like if it's a tablet or if it's a tiny lego piece Mm. I don't know what to do and if I have, if I've actually gone and had that refresher course, 100%. at least yeah. I'd be somewhat clued on yeah. rather yeah. than going through calling triple O and going through those prompts. I can yeah. be a little bit more proactive yeah. in knowing what I can do now. Yeah. And, mm. and I think that's probably mainly what separates us from going and doing a accredita- accredited uh, CPR course, which, which are fabulous. But I think for us being parents ourselves, we really just want to be those people that our community can turn to whether it's you know little things we post on Instagram or or coming and doing a refresher with us and just kind of helping you through like through the way and being like yeah this is something we all should be practicing keep it in the forefront keep it at the forefront of our mind absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. get your grandparents teach them yeah yeah totally Um, and Jade being plebe, plebe, pleb on the panel today, um, you, you know, you've got three girls, you've been a mother for six years now. What are some of the things that you've had to take the girls to ED for and how have you found those experiences? Yeah, well, in my pleb life, <laughs> I've had a few experiences of um, going to the ED and one of them started with Mia. She was six months old and she started vomiting in the car seat for like no reason and then I got her out and she still was vomiting but it looked kind of like she was choking even though we didn't give her anything because at that stage she wasn't eating and then we took her down to the doctors and they were like oh um I'm not too sure you probably have to go to the ED so take her so we went to the ED and um basically rushed in there panicking. This is where I knew that when a serious life-threatening or we think is a life-threatening situation, I'm useless and my husband is brilliant. <laughs> but any, if it's the other way around, yeah. I'm great and he is useless. Mm. So when I, I turn into this, I, I freeze. Yeah. So if something horrendously is wrong, I just go, I, I can't even carry you. I just mm. stare, mm. whereas he has to, you know, mm. be the person that actually <laughs> drives the car and gets mm. them in. Mm. Anyway, so we took her in. Um, they said there was nothing wrong. They monitored her and it was fine. But it was good because it's peace of mind knowing we've done the right mm-hmm. thing. If anything was wrong, we're here in the right place. They can test her further if they need to, mm. but they didn't. Mm. Um mm. One of my other experiences with my children were fevers. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and this is a big one, I had febrile convulsions when I was a little girl. So mum said that I would stop breathing and turn blue in the cot Mm. and she would have to rush me to the hospital Mm. and, you know, go through a horrendous um, scenario of watching her daughter Mm. not be able to breathe and, you know, reset her body system. Mm. Um, I once again don't know what to do in a situation where fevers are high Mm. Um, and especially once you've actually given them Nurofen and Panadol on rotation Mm. and it's still there. Mm. Um, It's funny when you walk into ED because everyone's so calm. You you walk in there, your hair's flailing around, (laughs) you're like, I've got the worst problem in the world, my child is sick, fuck you all. (laughs) And then you walk in and they're like, can I just grab your name and your phone number? Do you have a Medicaid card? And you're like, why are you so fucking calm? Yeah, yeah. And they're like, yeah, just take a seat. And yeah. obviously, you know, they're like, mm, that's a fever. Yeah. You know, we'll yeah. see her in about 20 patients' time. Yeah. But, um, you know, once again, I, for me, when I'm, I'm not a helicopter parent, but when mm. something's wrong, I just go straight there because when I'm there, I feel like you all know what to do mm. and I react in the end how you react and it calms me down. So, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Soph? What have you? We have been really lucky and have only had to take Poppy to the ED for one issue, but I think it's also because, like, I'm quite a relaxed parent to the point that Nick's like, oh, her response to everything is that, you know, she'll, she'll be, be fine. <laughs> like he broke his toe the other week and I was like, there's no point of seeing anyone yeah. because, like, no one's going to do anything for you. Like, just basically. <laughs> it's, he wanted it's a bit true. of empathy, it's right? True. I gave yeah. him some empathy. I was like, look, it looks sore. I'm not doubting <laughs> that thing is broken. It's now black and twice the size of the <laughs> other one. Like, I don't think it's going to fall <laughs> off, but, like, yeah. sorry if it does. But he jokes that my response to everything is you'll be fine. Um so the one thing actually, it's it's a little bit funny just because it's related to herpes and herpes is quite oh funny, God. not in a baby normally. But anyway, my husband <laughs> had started doing jiu-jitsu. Oh, my God. Where is and this going? <laughs> he gets eczema on his wrists. And um, he came home one day and over the next couple of days his eczema on his wrists started to look really like funky and I was like you need to go to the GP and get that sorted anyway he went in and they assumed it was staph but they took some swabs while they were in there and the swabs actually ended up coming back and saying that it was positive for herpes. He got herpes at jiu-jitsu. He got, yeah. So he got this <gasps> thing called um, eczema herpeticus, which is herpes of the eczema, which back in the day used to be known as mat disease or like the disease of the gladiators okay. because it's <laughs> basically when him. grown sweaty men <laughs> wrestle one another on mats that don't get washed, their eczema gets herpes. So I'm going to say on air here, my husband does not have herpes anywhere else. He's yeah. never had a cold sore. Yeah. His genitals are fine. Yeah. Just his wrist. But just his wrists. Anyway, Poppy gets eczema on the back of her knees and she was at the age where she, like, koalas in. And so when he would hold her, mm. his eczema on his mm. wrist would touch the eczema on the back of her legs. Mm. And anyway, herpes in babies can be really, really mm. dangerous, like especially in newborns. She was around one at this stage. Mm. But 
all of a sudden she started breaking out in these like welts on the back of her knees and I took her into the GP and the GP was like, look, just because of her age, like herpes can be really serious. Um, Has she been doing (laughs) jujitsu? I mean, he had been practising some roles on her, but, you know, yeah. But not on sweaty mats. But anyway, yeah, so we had to go into ED and be like, Nick's given Poppy herpes. <laughs> um, but they, the paediatricians weren't too worried. She was just put on a medication. Um, but, yeah, that's the only reason yeah. we've had to go oh, to Oh, very lucky. Yeah, yeah, I mean, lucky. thankfully we've had some, you know, quite mild um, mm. ED cases. My, my only other two were when Billy gets croup and it gets so mm. bad at night I've had to take her in for steroids. It's scary, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you don't have the steroids here. Yeah. yeah. But I have never been in a situation touch wood touch wood touch wood to have a serious emergency mm. and my girlfriend I just need to quickly say this because she told me yesterday her not even one year old swallowed a safety pin mm. and she yeah, showed me the x-ray she showed me the x-ray and there's this little safety pin sitting in there and I said, how did you know if it was open or closed? She said, I didn't. That's why I had to race yeah. down there because you don't know what's going to happen. But lucky it was closed so they let it pass. Yeah, they yeah. let it pass. But I thought, oh, what would I do in that in that situation? Yeah. But, I mean, I think the thing is if you don't know what to do, you go in. Yeah. yeah. But it was 100%. funny being on the other yeah. side even though, you know, Poppy's situation didn't end up being serious. Like she wasn't sick at all. She yeah. was just in a bit of pain. Um, it was so bizarre being on the other side mm. And I was yeah. just like, you know, even though I knew it was nothing life-threatening, I was just like, can't someone just, like, see mm. us already? And, you know, yeah. then you're waiting for medications and you're like, oh, yeah. can't someone just give us a, you know. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, it always takes a lot longer than you think. Yeah, I think I think that's yeah. the main thing, going there with mm. the expectation that even if it's something small, like mm. if you're going in at lunchtime, you will be there till the evening. Mm. If you go in to in the morning. Food, just take not, Yeah, take totally. Yeah. And what is the protocol? Like when, when we walk in with our children, do you go it's children first or do you go it is how life-threatening the situation yes. is? It's it's based on a triage system. Okay. Um, so the triage nurse will decide uh, where you sit, what category you are. Um, one being like serious car accidents or cardiac arrests or um, people who need to be seen right, right away. Yeah. Um, two little less serious but within sort of chest pain yeah chest pain things like that and then it goes down but you know if we've got a kid and an adult with the same ailment often the kid will be yeah triage a little bit higher um just Mm -hmm. because you know they can tell us less information Mm -hmm. so they can sometimes be hiding more severe symptoms and also you know i think um probably it plays into it that kids are a bit Mm -hmm. more vulnerable to not having anything to eat or drink for a while and obviously Waiting in ED for a really long time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just sit in the It's much harder for a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you won't necessarily get triaged higher um, than other sick people in the yeah. department. And we and we do cover that in the course. Some tips um, of what to do before you go to the emergency department. Mm. Um, so we like to say keep your child nil by mouth. So don't don't give them anything to eat or drink um, because if they have if say this is an injury for example, she poppy's fallen over. Um, we'll just say, don't give it any water because 
if she does require some sort of surgery, you actually have to wait, is it 12 hours, Gabby? Before it's, it's two hours two, for clear liquids and water and it's six, six hours, hours for food. So yeah. if a kid comes in with a broken wrist and there's a theatre spot right oh, now yeah, and, and just had a got biscuit an in the waiting room, room. Yeah, we've got to wait another six hours. Wow. So I it's best to just hold off until yeah. um, what about, Gabby or... We say, yeah. we say once you make the decision to go to the emergency department, take food and snacks with you, but just until you see the triage nurse, they'll advise you whether. And what about um, Panadol and Nurofen? absolutely give it absolutely do not hold off on giving that um so medications don't really and you count don't when it you don't to need it. to see how high the fever is like no. you know like if because yeah, that was one thing that people were asking about is like you know if they've got a temperature and you give them panadol and then so when they come in they've no longer got a temperature it it's it if I no, tell you at cut. home she had a temperature of 39, that's going to mean the well, same they, thing as you know, if you recorded it. Yeah, yeah so, that's right. We don't want them to be miserable. We don't want children to be in pain with these fevers. Um, Panadol and Nurofen don't necessarily, aren't necessarily really given for the temperature. They're given for a child being uncomfortable. Now, we need a kid to be able to drink fluids um, and wet nappies uh, while they're going through their fever. And it's just and remarkable how much better a child looks after Panadol and Nurofen. Mm-hmm. And I get, so the question I guess you're asking is, yeah. is, is, is it still going to take it seriously? Exactly. Yeah. Is it going to give us a false With sense your of reassurance? History, we will. So if you say, you know, this is day four of this fever, um, I'm only having one wet nappy a day, um, we're going to look at that history and decide that this child probably needs to be seen and needs to be in here for observation for sure. But, yeah. you know, say your kid came in, it's the first day of temperatures, they're sitting around 38, um, they're teething or something, you've given them Panadol, they're having wet nappies still and still taking water, we're, we're going to assure you. And, and the Panadol's made a remarkable dis- difference, that's, yeah. That's right. But it, So it depends on the case by case and, and that's what we do. That's kind of what we're trained to be able to, to recognise is when we take a history, um, we'll decide kind of where that priority may sit for your child. Yeah. And I don't care yeah. so much about the fever. No. So if a child comes into me and they don't have a fever but I'm – Mum right. said to me, Fima was 40 and I've just given her Panadol. Mm. I'm like, great job, because all I was going to do was give you some Panadol and watch. And yeah, that time that right. I was going to watch, yeah. Yeah. it's already passed. But if your kid's sitting there and they're looking a bit floppy and a bit mottled or blue whilst they don't have a fever because you've given the Panadol, we're not going to say, oh, they don't have a fever, we're not going to you know, take this seriously. So yeah. Yeah. it's so the, not the, only the fever. The, I think the yeah. priority of a fever is it alerts us that there's something we need to look for. Mm. So the fever itself isn't really a big deal, mm. but it's um, it's kind of what's around We need it. to examine the child and find mm. out what the cause mm. of the fever is and whether that's something that, you know, we're concerned about or whether that's something that's going to get better on its own. Do um, you think there's a, a big focus on parents freaking out over a fever? Because I find that, you know, if, as soon as someone, a child has a fever and it's over 38 or 37, mm. we go into this panic-stricken state where, oh, my God, like if it's at 40, you have to go to hospital. Mm. And obviously a fever, can you explain yeah. why we get and our children get fevers? Yeah, so fever is a biological response to an infection, either viral or bacterial. It's your body increasing the thermostat because viruses and bacteria reduce at a much reproduce at a much slower rate at a higher temperature so it's actually your body's 
way of fighting off the infection. So it's a good thing. As long as they're able to eat and drink and they're not miserable and they're comfortable. So, um, you know, a fever on its own and your child's running around playing, eating, drinking, making wet nappies, or even if they're off their food but still drinking and making, you know, the same amount of wet nappies as usual, that's fine. So it's probably best in those situations just to not treat yeah. the fever. Yeah, you don't have to. You yeah. can if you want to. I, don't, I think um, I was actually reading a study about this two days ago. Mm. Um, they were saying that not not treating the fever doesn't have any kind of advantage. There's no difference yeah. seen in the in the duration so of illness. So your duration yeah. would still be you the same. I, to thought, treat it. I thought... Well, what I've been told a few times by doctors is, you know, you only give Panadol and Nurofen if they are uncomfortable because Mm. a fever is actually the body's way of getting rid or doing it themselves. And if you start interfering with that when it's not necessary. It doesn't make a huge difference. It's just you don't have to panic about the fever. That being said, um, fevers above 40 probably indicate a more serious and they're not they're not going to be probably running around with the temperature of 40 exactly and they're they're probably going to be off their fluid and um, a little bit poorly so in that case definitely give you know any indication when they've Mm. got a fever that they're miserable or not drinking um or even if you just are worried of course give the panel and what's classed as a high temperature so 38 degrees is our um our definition of a fever in Mm -hmm. children um, anything below that is normal and anything above that between 38 and 40 is kind of, as we mentioned, um, as long as they're comfortable and mm. drinking, um, that's okay. It's just when it gets above 40 that they so suggest that you pop in and see. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. if it's above 40, you should yeah. probably seek medical yeah. advice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Just, to, just to kind of, um, obviously you can't check vital signs so well at home. But that you could go to a doctor yeah, for that. You don't need to yeah, rush you don't need to, to rush the emergency department. Okay. No, no. And what do you think are reliable ways to take temperatures at home? Like are the electronic forehead ones fine or should we be doing rectal temperatures? Or, if you, you want know. But um, I think it's just whatever you have. If it's, yeah. tem- you know, tympatic, whether it's um, on the forehead, whether yeah. it's just under the arm. For little yeah, babies, whatever. though, I think it's less than 12 months, isn't it? The tympanic yes. thermometer yeah. isn't super accurate. So yeah. um, so yeah. that's in the ear. That is. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. In the ear. Yeah, come come on, again. For the sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Just come come on, Jake. Chime in and say Sorry. Yeah. I was trying to be smart. I know what you're talking about, guys. So probably under the armpit front. And it's excellent because they don't move around like a toddler so when you you can just pop Mm. it under there um, see i find when my children have temperatures Mm. i i don't even check their fever i just go on how they are acting Mm -hmm. and if they end up being really boiling hot and you know a little bit lethargic i'm like well clearly you have a fever Mm. i mean Mm. is that an okay way to or do you really actually need to see how high the fever is because Once again, if Mm. I think that my child is okay, I'm not going to – I am going to take them to the ED or the doctor Mm -hmm. if I've given Panadol and Nurofen Mm. for their fever and nothing has progressed and they're still in this way for another 24 hours. Mm. I mean, it's probably good – if you have something handy, it's probably good to just do it at home so that you can say, yes, I have proof that they have had a temperature for four days or whatever. Yeah, I I think – yeah, I think having just a good first aid kit in the house mm. is important um and that, what should be in that <laughs> <laughs> there's a list um i think 
uh, obviously having something to take their temperature is very important mm-hmm. um, to just have in there. And then you've got all your bandages, which we can get in later with the when we talk about maybe first aid. But mm. as for temperatures, it would and just panadol be. And panadol and neurofen. And panadol and neurofen. Yeah. Just if we're talking on, about fevers right now, that's I have, what I have one important. more question. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's an old wives' tale, mm. but they do say in – No, I just love (laughs) We're all really nervous. No, no, no. She has this general they, and I'm always like, who's they? (laughs) You know they. My my grandmother. Yeah. Um, If you put, if you don't want to use um, Panadol or Nurofen, or you want to sort of like help it, you have a lukewarm bath and you pop their feet in to bring the temperature down. Is that a myth? That's a good question. Um, I'm not so sure. I don't know about the bath. It mm. probably makes sense. Mm. Um, but the one thing that we do recommend is that you just, um, a kid with a fever, you know, keep them so that they appear comfortable. So mm. um, if that's a singlet and a nappy, if they're boiling up or if they're sort of shivering and cold. Just um, a light pop, sheet. Pop it, yeah. Mm. Like, a light know, a little blanket. So don't, because I know when you're really, really, the kids are sick and they're like, I'm freezing and you're like, you're boiling, you're not going to have that doona on you. Mm. Do you they actually the, do recommend that, yeah, that you can, you can pop a blanket on them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. That was on, um, on the, actually, this is a really important thing that we teach at all our courses, that there's this really great app um, called the Kids Health App by the Royal Children's Hospital, mm-hmm. and they've got amazing handouts on anything you can mm-hmm. think of: fevers, febrile convulsions, choking, anaphylaxis, everything. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was actually just reading their um, their handout on fever, and they were saying, yeah, to if they're cold, give them a blanket. If mm-hmm. they're hot, take some clothes off. So they sort of say okay. light clothing if they have a fever is a good idea, but you don't want to put them in a cold bath. Yeah, I think that's shower. the thing. Like it, you, I think yeah. there used to be a lot of talk about, you know, if your child had a fever, you put them in a cold shower, a nice but, like, that's just going to be so something. uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, nice they, they even say to They even say to um with the cloths that, you know, your mum used to put a cold mm. cloth on your forehead, they said just use, like, warm water yeah. um, just to kind of evaporate and take that heat without cold shock or yeah. changing the temperature too much. But if you need to bring the fever down, Panadol and Nurofen yeah. are, your, are your best options. And yeah. is there a time that you would reach for Panadol over Nurofen or Nurofen over Panadol? They, no. Children, When children are dehydrated, they shouldn't have Nurofen. So mm-hmm. if they're really off, they've been vomiting and had diarrhoea, should avoid the Nurofen. Um, just because uh, if they're dehydrated and they're having – because. Um, neurofin works through the kidneys you don't want to kind of disrupt mm. their kidney function at all but not that you may not know that your kid's dehydrated either at mm. home um i think you know what i mean like yeah. it's one of those but i guess I if they've been vomiting a lot and that's you're worried right. that they have dropped off with their wet yeah. nappies that would be a yeah. time where you would reach for them at all i think that. just one thing i would like to just mention before we move on from fevers is from a nursing perspective um my one of my challenges as a mum was kind of clocking off and and being at home with Huey when he was sick first being in the hospital. But I found it worked to my advantage to use those skills and those nursing interventions. Um, And we call that in the hospital, we do our OBS round, you know, we do all our OBS and usually it's every two hours in hospital. Checking all the vital signs. That's right. So at home, I do a similar little thing and it's not every two, but it's every four because I know Panadol can be given every four hours. I just work off my Panadol clock, I call it. I always have a piece of paper mm. and it's basically I write nappies, fluid, Panadol on it. 
and every time Hugh might have a wet nappy, I just put, you know, one wet nappy. Um, if he has, I'm, you know, I have those syringes, the feeding syringes yeah. at home. I took Hugh from the hospital, the 20 Just to clarify, this is when Hugh is sick. Yes. This is when he does it every day. <laughs> Oh, okay, gosh, yeah. <laughs> I think I think my point is being able to, <laughs> to use this as a really good guide. So if you could keep a fluid chart just on your bench, a piece of paper with a crayon even, just mm. wet nappies, how much they've had. Even if it's recording five minutes. What were you doing with those? Syringes. It's, I just fill it up with water and Q finds it really fun to yeah. drink out of a syringe. Yeah, so, oh, Poppy freaking loves when we're giving yeah, her a She it's, starts asking for it's her just medicine. A bit of a game. I'm like, oh, God, we're it, breeding a drink bored with me you know trying to shove a bottle or water down yeah. his throat so i just get the syringe and that's 20 mils i'm like 20 mils and 20 you can also good record you any vomits or any diarrhea that's right well. loss of yep. fluid so yeah and if you come into the emergency department with a sick child with a fluid chart like that we're well, yeah. gonna think you're such a boss because yeah. i think at the start you think yeah. oh i'm not gonna forget when i've given them panadol you will, but you you're do. in <laughs> this like whirl of them being yeah. sick you have you're a bit more probably. stressed out yeah. and everything you're trying doesn't seem to be working yeah. and it's so yeah so so helpful to just jot it down and i think right. the syringes are so good because i think yeah. so often we go oh crap they haven't drunk anything like try and get them to skull and yeah. like we know even as adults when yeah. we're feeling unwell like yeah. all you want is a sip at most yeah, yeah. so have that, a little yeah. syringe i just fill up just, a cup put yeah. the syringe in it i either give That's it to great. him to play with or every five ten minutes i just you yeah. know when when he's really sick we often just sit at home in front of the TV yeah. and I, chill. So. I also think when you have more than one child that's sick at that time, mm. that, that's when I bring out the piece of paper because I've got me, Amazing. Billy, you, yeah. and I can't remember all those, yeah. you know, times. Kids, let alone. Oh, on a good do. day, you can't remember if you fed them lunch. Alone, <laughs> yeah. Have them at all. But um, I have all their little times and then Happy because I'm a little bit OCD, I have the next time of when I no, actually have to do it. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. Come work for us. I will. Yeah. Look, yeah. people have been begging me, but yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, I'm a all these hospitals. I'm a full time mum and a full time co host, so I just I don't have time for you guys at the moment. Fair enough. And um, I think one of the things that I used to ask a lot about, like when I would do stints in the ED, was wet nappies. And when people couldn't answer that, I was like, how can you not answer that? Mm. Now, having my own child, Mm. like it's actually can be quite a difficult thing to answer. Like any tips on, like other than jotting it down, but like keeping track of that kind of thing. Because sometimes I've had a nappy on you, like I don't know if that's one wee or two wees. Or... Well, like I said, I think y- y- it's not um, the amount of wees. It's yeah. just whether or not the yeah. nappy is wet. Yeah. And if you are sticking maybe to a four-hour kind of observation, you might say within that four hours the nappy was still not wet, mm-hmm. you know. But or, I think quite often yeah. I'm not a parent myself, but I think mm-hmm. a lot of parents that I ask this question to are aware because they, they find it yeah. strange themselves. Mm-hmm. But it's been kind of 12 hours since the yeah. last wet nappy I yeah. think I think when it really drops off you do know yeah that's the thing you will notice if there is that drop my last question on fevers and it comes back to neurofen do they have to have their stomach lined with some sort of food or beverage um so it doesn't um hurt their stomach 
We, yeah, neurofine is better to have with food, but it's not an absolute kind of reason when I not take to give it. Yeah. When I take neurofin and on, it's on an empty stomach, yeah. I feel sick and I'm going to vomit. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I think over time, neurofin is a bit um, harmful to the stomach lining. But it's different mm. for children? Yeah. Well, oh, I'm more just on, sorry if it's in a short Just skin. if you're just using it kind of infrequently. Just if, it, if it's one day of teething and you, you've yeah, given you don't neurofen. have to wait to. No. Okay. okay. I would say, I would say. Yes, to you know, to try and give it with food. But if mm. you know, yeah, if, if, not if you had Panadol four hours ago, they're not eating. They have a temp again, and they're miserable, and they're not yeah, drinking now because they had the temp. Oh, it's kind of yeah. It's sort of risk oh, benefit. Oh, I think of the <laughs> Just one more thing before I forget. Parents also, a lot of parents don't know you can take the Nurofen and Panadol together at the at the start. I oh, know because then it's mm. what Panadols. Four hours and it's six hours for Nurofen. Yeah. Yes. Oh, well done. Yeah, right. oh, we don't need you guys. Yeah, we I just need me here. Sophie's like, damn, girl. I love how for you were like so proud, like a kid yeah. at trivia or something. Like, yeah. And then after that, you can alternate. <laughs> yes. Right. Thank yeah. you, Dr. J. <laughs> um, and is there any other things that you think you should observe before hospital? So like, you know, with temperatures, it's wet nappies, it's how much they're drinking. What other things is it that you will commonly ask so that parents can be kind of prepared to answer those presence questions? presence of a rash is a big one. Um, so we don't mind too much those kind of fine red rashes that you kind of push on them and they go away. They're often indicative of a viral illness. Obviously, measles is the exception to that, and um, thankfully it's incredibly rare. Um, but so a fine rash that goes away when you press on it is not very worrisome, but a big thing that we would be worried about would be a child who has got a rash that doesn't go away when we press on it, mm-hmm. like a big kind of purple mm-hmm. um, purple bruising rash yeah. is something that we ask about. Other things like, um, you know, is the light really bothering their eyes? Are they feeling kind of stiff in their neck? Or and other things that um, sort of maybe clue us up as to where the fever's coming from. So they've got a sore tummy. Have they got any um, increased frequency in urination with kind of smelly, painful mm. wheeze, things mm. like that? Would you check for like ant bites or spider bites? Or is that just a real helicopter parent? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you shouldn't be getting answer. a fever with bites so much, but Tiger certainly bite. like ticks and things we might ask about mm. if they've got Did some you say other... tiger bites? Yes, it does. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Dog bites yeah. and cat bites. Yeah, <laughs> She lives on the farm, yeah. but not in the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yet to see but, a tiger. But, I mean, I guess it's good to give them, even at home, a good once-over look anyway. So, mm. yeah, I mean, if there's a, a, a crazy bite. Mm. But I guess, I guess like, yeah. when you walk into the ED and they're like, so... Um, yeah, they're a bit off. What have they been doing today? You sort of need to know in the back of your head, well, actually they were outside in the garden and we are on a rural property. Yeah. There could be a possibility that yeah. there was something horrendous. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. So then you guys are aware that it wasn't inside in the lounge room yeah. and they were just watching yeah. TV. Then you would probably need to check something I, more. I think the biggest part of that, of taking a history, is just assessing like how well is this child mm. really? Like if if and part of that is you know if they're running around playing and then they after they've had the panadol and then the panadol wears off and now they're lethargic and you know looking a bit poorly mm. um that's always a reassuring story yeah as compared to well actually they've been really flat all morning and they just haven't been themselves mm. and so I think just how I guess we ask it ourselves like is this child well or not mm. like I know that I know they've got a fever I know that they've got a, probably a viral infection or something but are they are they truly very sick or are they well? I think a big part of that is your 
remembering, you know, yeah, they ate their breakfast and, yeah, mm. they were running outside with their older sister and, yeah. and you know, those are important parts and, of the story. And just to, again, that app, like having a, an app like the Royal Children's app really helps guide you to make these decisions. I think if you're hopping on Google, you're going to get some really crazy answers. Your What's child it? is dying. What? Yeah, don't, 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 don't Google. Don't, I Google don't everything, do it. but don't do it. So, if, you know, if you've got some really... Um, you don't need to download that not now. <laughs> We're going to put it in the show notes. I know, notes. but I just don't want to worry. know what it is. What is it? The Royal it's, Children's Hospital app. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's it's in Melbourne. It's a Royal mm. Children's Hospital and they're just this really great paediatric mm. hospital with really good resources. Mm. The website's rch.org.au and they have an app which is a kids kids health app and actually speaking of that with pediatrics you know some hospitals don't do pediatrics most eds even if you can still take your child there unless you live in a big city where there is a children's hospital nearby yeah all eds will have will see children yeah um and then some hospitals, like for example, Rabina doesn't have a children's ward. So if the child needs admission or they need to be seen by a pediatrician, then they'll need to go to the closest hospital, be that Gold but Coast. For an emergency, yeah. you know, yes. They're they trained up enough yes. <laughs> with kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah great. Okay, cool. And what are the, some of the signs that um, parents should look out for or things to keep in mind Um that kind of delineate between, oh, we could probably do another day at home versus no, my child should get medical attention. So I think a good way to break this down would be, does my is my child um, needing to go and see a GP um, or is my child needing to go to the emergency department? And then the other question is, do I need to call an ambulance to get them there? Yeah. And it's sort of difficult to give a broad answer because it really is in, yeah. you know, a case-by-case basis. Um, but some of the things that, that we certainly would be worried about would be a fever under three months of age would you know just blanket rule mm. needs to see a doctor and probably will need to see a pediatrician um mm. to rule out sepsis because it's very difficult to tell in that age group mm. um mm. um for my for myself in, in our, my experience i would probably say alertness of a child so a drowsy child you, you know if your kid's sleepy but you'll know when they're drowsy or floppy that's an indication I would call an ambulance or go straight to the emergency mm-hmm. department with that. Um, another thing might be, you know, decrease wet nappies. I might take my child to the GP or up to, you know, they may be alert and okay, look okay, but those nappies have decreased. I might pop up to the emergency department or to my GP for further advice there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think breathing we, problems. Yeah, just which is a tricky one to kind of touch on because we I could probably talk about it for hours mm. but um any breathing problems so if that is increased breathing um they just look like they're working hard to breathe yeah yeah or I they, would, if they look like they're going blue around the lips that's a call an ambulance scenario their yeah. chest if it seems yeah. to be having a bit that's of a right. hollow that's yeah. right yeah you yeah. can you can look it up um you can youtube uh kind of we call it recessions, so intercostal recessions. It's when you see their ribs cage as they're breathing or uh, we call it a tracky tug. So if there's just kind of... Just about that little notch on the breastbone. If yeah, going in their in. throat, if it's going in and out, that means they're really using all those muscles now but in their neck Even if you're missing breathe, those yeah. really kind of specific signs, I think you, mm. you would know... You know, mm. if your child's working hard to breathe, they just look like they're getting, like they're panting and they're working a yeah. bit hard. And it's, it is important because, you know, that increased work of breathing can be an, 
uh, a early sign for a number of things. Yeah. Um, problems with the lungs, sepsis, bad infections. Mm. Um, so it is, you know, heart problems as well. So mm. I would say really keeping an eye and just looking at your child when they're breathing normally to have a reference mm. and take their shirt mm. off, undress them if they're looking a bit unwell and just see are they working hard to breathe or not. Mm. That's probably yeah. an important sign for me. I think yeah. respiratory rate is the most um, uh, sensitive vital sign for kids particularly becoming really unwell and so, what and what advice do you give on you know t- taking someone's respiratory rate i wouldn't advise to necessarily be too technical when you're taking yeah. a respiratory rate uh, you can look up the guidelines as well onto what a normal respiratory rate is for a baby compared to an adult you know a baby maybe 60 breaths per minute where we're 30 breaths per minute so you know by putting your hand on their little chest and you can feel they're really really working and they're puffing away um we're gonna want to call call an ambulance or or go into emergency with that one with breathing with little Mm. babies from zero to three and correct me if i'm wrong (laughs) but zero to eight (laughs) No, my when I had my first child, I was listening to her sleep, and it was a um, it wasn't a smooth pattern. So she'd breathe, and then she'd stop, and then she'd breathe, and then she'd stop. So I did Google it, and it said <laughs> that it was normal for them to have this up and down um, breathing pattern. Mm. You guys are looking at me like, no, you no. should have gone to the ED. No, well, no, no, no. I wouldn't have gone to the ED, but I wouldn't, like, I'm not going to sit on the other side of this microphone and say that it's normal for breathing patterns to okay. be erratic or to stop because... If your child, if your baby stops breathing for a length of time, we call that an apnea, and yeah. and we can be concerned about that. We'd want to see, but it. that would be you know more than it was. It was a pattern that like it was a rotating pattern, but it wasn't like this. Like her heart wasn't going boom, 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 boom. Wait, it was going. Heart- oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nah, back it up, back it up. I was actually thinking about her heartbeat. Yes, her heart beat. In kids, your heartbeat alternates yeah. with your oh, breathing. Sorry, guys. Yeah, yes. yes. that's <laughs> heartbeat. Did you have a stethoscope, or did you just have your ear? No, I had on my her ear chest. on her chest, mm. and I could feel with my hand, mm. and it was like boom, 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 boom. and I'm like, "What is this? Is this?" While she was breathing, she was breathing fine. Respiratory variation, yeah. sinus yeah. rhythm. Okay, mm. no wonder you were looking at me with. No, that's fine. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. but again, it is advised if your child is under three months, <laughs> and and you. You know, and you're worried about their heartbeat. Go, do go see your GP. Yeah, yes, don't, yeah. don't do that. And also, or I, just call Jade. Look, yeah, call me. Instagram me. DM me, and I'll I'll work out the answers. Don't by worry the, about these apps. By the end of the day, she's gonna have doctor in her bio. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> doctor London, Boston. <laughs> Love it. I always tell parents that, like, especially if their baby's very cute, like. Bring them up, even if they're totally well. What if, really, take a what if they're really ugly? If you've got an ugly <laughs> child, take them along too. Yeah, bring your ugly children too. But, you know, I just, I'm more than happy to see a child who's completely well. It only takes us like a couple of minutes to assess and look May at them. It may take you hours, but only <laughs> take like a couple of minutes and we love it. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, I'll I'll think you've sat with ED for three hours. Yeah. Gab gets to have a little coup for yeah. a couple of minutes. <laughs> If you're worried, bring them up. We'll yeah. never, no, never you know, judge you or, or yes. you know, think yeah. it was silly of you to come because yeah. if you're worried, you're worried. Yeah. And I yeah. think another thing on that is if you um, 
like, cause I was speaking to my, you know, my husband's not medical and I was speaking to him this morning and I said, what were some things that you think could have equipped you better, you know, mm. for the times that we have taken Poppy to ED? Um, and he said, oh, I think it's important to know that like, if you're sent home, after you've been in ED, that doesn't mean you should never have gone. Yeah. So, like, for example, we thought when Poppy had this herpes thing that we were going to have to go on the ward to maybe have, like, um, you know, exactly. IV yeah, yeah. Um, medication, mm. but we were just given um, oral medication and it was the middle of winter and, you know, the paediatrician explained to us there's so many other things that she could be catching up on that ward if we bring her in unnecessarily. Mm. And he said that was really good to hear that it wasn't, oh, we've wasted the whole day sitting here mm. when we're just getting sent home anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. That, that's a really good thing um, because you feel like an idiot sometimes if you do go in there and they're like, um, you needed a Band-Aid now you can get yeah. out. But I think that's important that if, you know, if, you, if you're going to question yourself, like I question myself, oh, should I, like in the middle of the night, especially when croup peaks, do I wait another hour? And Nico Mohari always says to me, if you are questioning yourself, then you know the answer. And that's, that's right. when I go yeah. with my gut and yeah. I just pick her up and take her yeah. to the ED. And yeah. the worst thing is they'll say, well, they usually do fix her and give her some steroids, mm. but the worst thing they're going to say is, actually, she's okay, she gets to go home. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, no. a, that's even yeah. the, the best scenario. And I was going to say, on, in the yeah. same thing with breathing things, yeah. often they are worse at night. So you may even find that you're back there the next night that's, because, yeah, yeah you know, that's during right. the day yeah. they've been good again and then you're back there yeah. at night. And that's also not a failing yeah. either. No. Mm. If you're just if you're coming home and that's all you're feeling, like, oh, that was, you know, maybe a bit embarrassed or was that a waste of time, that's fine. But if you're feeling distressed about coming home or being sent home from the emergency, absolutely pop back up there for a second opinion. Um, don't ever think that, you know, we don't, we, we want to make sure you feel reassured mm. as well. So if you don't feel reassured as a parent, please come back up and you will get another, you know, an, probably another doctor or somebody else help. Another opinion. Another opinion. Or even if it's the same doctor, be, then maybe they can just address the same your doctor. actual concerns, concerns a bit, you know, yeah. a bit more in depth. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. put it this way, mm. if you stayed at home and were contemplating going to the ED and something happened, you'd never forgive yourself. Mm. If you just sucked it up and went to the ED and mm. you got told, oh, it's actually not really a big deal, you, it's mm. okay, you can go mm. home, mm. then you've got peace of mind. So yeah. you yeah. way rather that. Doctors yeah. and nurses are also well aware mm. that kids especially often change their tune mm. once they arrive at hospital. So 100%. I once saw yeah. a boy who for I think it was a day and a half could not walk on his leg and his parents were really concerned. Were you a doctor were, at this time? Yeah. Okay. Um, technically I still am now. Thank you very much. <laughs> I forget. Sure. Was I a working doctor? Yes. Yeah. I wasn't just hanging no, out. No, was he your ED. patient? He was my patient. Yeah. I was just um, wondering where For a day and a half, got to ED, got mm. to me seeing him, stood up, ran around. And they were mortified. They were so embarrassed. Mm. And I said to them, I was like, oh, well, it's great because there's no. clearly nothing wrong now. Yeah. Yeah. But they're aware that, like, 100%. you know, kids go to hospital yeah. and suddenly they act well, all fine. I, th and I think that you mentioning with your little girl getting croup earlier croup is a really important one too because when they're laying flat you get because croup is upper airway swelling yep. you, you know or it's associated with a upper respiratory virus when they're laying flat at night the kind of gravity means that the swelling is a little bit worse 
And so kids with croup get much, much worse at night, as you were mentioning, you know, Mm -hmm. overnight breathing problems get worse. So we'll often have kids come in brought in by ambulance with their parents absolutely distraught because they've just woken up with their child being unable to breathe. It's really scary for the whole household. It sounds horrendous. And by by the time they get to the emergency department, They've settled down and they've still got that awful barking cough and they've definitely got a croup, mm. but they're not, they don't look anywhere near as bad as mm. they did when they first woke up. So mm. I think, um, and you know, those kids will always go home after steroids if they're, you know, mm. improving and they're able to go home. So it's, it, it's just because you go home from the ED doesn't mean you didn't need to. Yeah, to go. That's my, my son's like mile high for that. Like he's, he's at, more bar emergency all the time for <laughs> can I say that? Like you know, like he's he's Do quite you mean a loyal patient. You mean loyalty. He's not having sex in the bar. Does it always mean that? <laughs> yes. Does it? Yeah. Isn't it sex on an How embarrassing. I've been saying that for other things you like for your you mean frequent flight do you, you, saying do you that tell your patients that you're a mile high no member? just like with my velocity points with virgins like, oh oh, like, virgin. like i'm They're getting like my mile a virgin. my mile high points are getting like i may be oh that's absolutely wrong oh, <laughs> Oh, that just made my day. Mm. Loyalty points. Frequent yeah. flyer points. Nah, girl, go with mile, mile high. high. Like, no, mile high, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. But getting back to it, here he is. I wouldn't mind a few mile high points. A frequent flyer myself. at the emergency department. <laughs> I was having a similar <laughs> joke to someone the other day. It was like um, someone in the generation above us. Yeah. Apparently in back in the day you used to be able to say, oh, it's really grown a third leg, like when something <laughs> has really like upped its professionalism or like, <laughs> <laughs> and I like I just couldn't take him seriously. I was that like, oh, it's grown a third leg, has it? Good for it. And he was talking about an accommodation place that was like oh really uh, had stepped it up a yeah, really And I was like, had yeah, and well no, it must have been down because you can stand on it. But anyway. Before you guys are so we move on about um, you know, we're kind of talking about when to take a child to emergency department. Mm. Yes. Um, one thing I would really like to mention is we, we see these ads on TV from the government saying, you know, is this really an emergency? And there's, you know, I think an ad where like someone's got the nasal spray out and they're in theatre, it's like clear. And they're like, is this an emergency? I don't think that applies for kids. Mm. I think we're just trying to, yeah, we are obviously getting pretty busy in emergency departments. Don't come with a mosquito bite. But no, yeah, yeah, but, when, but when it is a child, <laughs> when it is, it, it is a child, I think it's an exception. I think that when you're a caregiver for someone that can't talk or you're an advocate for someone that can't say what they're feeling, you do panic. Now, if it was you that had the mozzie bite and you came up to emergency and you were going on about how sore your mozzie bite was <laughs> you know I don't know like that's a bit different say, Jade, that's your nipple girl. <laughs> yeah. but I just think like for for a kid like when you're a parent you're you're their advocate and we can't tell yeah no I agree through. I but I think if your child's well and you know you're still a bit that's a perfect opportunity to pop in and see your GP or oh, 100% call cool. the um the health yeah. direct phone number which mm-hmm. I'll read out yeah yeah, yeah please yeah, so sure. in Queensland it's one three health, um, which is um, thirteen forty three twenty five eighty four. You guys will link this, won't you? Yes. We'll link, yeah, we'll link it. Good. And then the the phone number is different in New South Wales, of course, because yeah. they can never make anything. I know, it's, and, and the rest of the country as well. So everyone except for Queensland is eighteen hundred zero. 
double two, triple two. And those hotlines are invaluable because registered nurses on the other end of the phone can tell you, hey, this is something that I can't quite tell over the phone, so you should pop in and see your GP or pop up to the emergency So they decipher whether it's GP-worthy and ED-worthy. Yeah, absolutely. So you don't have to call your ED, like, triple O and be like, oh, my God, what's going on? I would say try not to call triple O unless it's mm, an emergency. Friend. And if you're not if you're not sure, if you, if you think, oh, this is concerning and I'm call worried, call triple yeah, call One Three Health if you've got you know. A, we just buy- so call One Three Health if you're trying to work out should I go should I stay home should I go to a GP should I go to ED yeah it, call Triple Zero if you're like do I need to call an ambulance mm. or get them to ED myself right now like there's no like you're only calling Triple Zero if there's no question that this person mm-hmm. needs to be seen as soon as possible. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. that might be a really good little number to keep on the front of your fridge. Also the poisons information hotline phone. That number. is what I was going to yeah. ask you because my friend, <laughs> the same friend, <laughs> she tends to call this hotline a lot. I don't know what she gives her children, but um, you know, some things happen where they might drink um, you know, her alcohol. No, I'm joking. Um, sometimes <laughs> there's, you know, different things like, you know, they like go going to the medical correct or something. Anything. Or, yeah. anything. So um, when that happens, what do they? What what happens when you call them? So you will speak to um, a representative who has access to a toxicologist, and they are brilliant. So that's the same oh. phone number that we use in the emergency department. It, they so are you get through so to the same person. Wow. Yeah. They'll yeah. tell you whether you need to be worried, and actually, they know more. Than we do. I actually have a funny story. I had a mum bring her um, child recently who had maybe eaten a snail. And I saw that I saw that it was like on triage and I thought I thought and I'm like, oh that's funny. That's kind of a strange thing to come to hospital with, but I'll go see them and let them know they can go home. We're not worried. And mum said, actually, no, I just spoke to Poison's hotline. And it's only just a recent kind of uh, guideline that's come into place where if you if your child eats a snail and I think also a slug, um, then they're at an increased risk of getting a, um, a pretty nasty meningitis, really, which, which can be deadly. So um, now all snug slugs, <laughs> snugs, snail and slug slug ingestions, they get treated with prophylactic medication to prevent this kind of wow. this complication, which is really rare but quite serious. So mm. poisons know more than we do and they're brilliant. And it's yeah, so a resource great. that the doctors and nurses in ED use a lot, yeah. like whether know? someone's like yeah. overdosed on their medications or um, or eaten something yeah. that they shouldn't have. Yeah. Um, they're so knowledgeable. I think you might have one of the posters we gave you. Yes. And it does have all the numbers yeah. Yeah. underneath mm. as well. Yeah, so they, they, made, they made a beautiful printout mm. that had the numbers so it doesn't oh, look offensive sure. on your fridge. Yeah, we hate those um, those CPR charts that are bright red. Ooh, what do yours look like? They're like, like a blush on the trend. Oh, like the yeah. little yes. rainbows. Or we have like the oatmeal one. Oh. It's just all the beautiful oatmeal tones. And it just looks like an invitation. <laughs> Mm. 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 we can all get one for you oh that'll be fabulous (laughs) and one of the things that people wanted to know the most about and I feel like is one of the biggest fears for parents is choking Mm. do you have any advice around that so I guess as part of it is preventing choking which um Zoe do you want to speak to yeah um preventing choking so we're not going to be able to prevent prevent 
um, those instances where a baby may be eating and, you know, they gag on their food. That's and quite fine. a natural That's cool. thing yeah. for kids That's to do. That's learning, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it is learning. I think for me, um, choking, I get a bit paranoid actually with it. I actually once a week go through my house and it's actually been brilliant because now my house looks like the most on-trend minimalist kind of setting, but it wasn't done by purpose. I actually pick everything up that might be choking size. So I go through my drawers, I go through my handbag um, and everything is up high. And I'll just do this once a week and it takes 20 minutes and it just helps reassure me that, okay, in my house where maybe I'm not always watching my child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because shock horror, there's other things to do. That's yeah. right. I, I have eliminated that risk of, of choking as And well. what are common things that you think that maybe? Definitely, yeah. yeah. So um, really anything from the size of a blueberry to the, you know, or bigger could be or anything that could fit down their throat really, um, a grape that's not cut in half. That's a huge uh, like one. Have, yeah, we that's... really do need to talk about that. One, Sophie is sitting here. We walk in, we're like, oh, the biggest thing needs to be spoken about, choking. Mm. She's got a platter here that has almonds and nuts and grapes. grapes. Like you wear out. There's no children in the house right but now. But we are in yeah. Poppy's um, room. Another common food, sausages. So instead of oh. cutting them up like, you know, dicing them yeah. lengthways, like um, slice them down the middle into slithers, into long mm, pieces okay. and, uh, instead of dicing yep. them because they are like a nice little round size. And I guess and then they've circular, got that skin on them that makes it hard to um, that's right. bite yeah. through. Um, yeah. Lollipops, you know, those um, lozenger lollipops you can even get if your kid's got a sore throat or just any lollipop if they come off the stick. They're oh, good. Yeah. Um, Small like bouncy balls. Literally anything that they could get their hands on. But today... I was brushing my teeth and Yumi was pulling out things in the drawer and she's just starting to get to that age where she's interested in everything and crawling. She pulled out my teeth whitener and the thing came open and two of those flat batteries. (gasps) She went to put one in her mouth. Those are the worst. Actually, I will say that the the Mm. two things I really care about because there's choking, which is where something goes down the windpipe, which I think we're going to circle back to really quickly. Yeah. But then there's, you know, ingestion of foreign bodies, we call it, so swallowing um, something unusual. And the, the really the only thing that we truly, truly care about emergently would be those flat batteries because mm. um, they can actually Erode. cause erosion of your esophagus. So they're really bad. You would really they are, not even have them in your house, surprisingly, they're in a lot of products, though. Mm. So just be aware of that. They are. Yeah. Like you said, hidden in your tooth. They should be. They should always be in a in an appliance that you have to unscrew to get it out. And the other thing that we would be concerned about kids swallowing would be obviously sharp objects, um, but also magnets because you don't know mm. if there's more than one, or if they're swallowed metal as well. Right. Because then you could get a magnet kind of clicking onto itself somewhere in your gastrointestinal tract. Yeah. Mm. Gastro gastrointestinal tract, mm. and um, and then that could cause obviously a lot of damage so those sort of those three things sharp things button batteries and magnets we really worry about and if they are choking so we'll go back around to let's go back yeah Yeah. so we we divide choking into well there's gagging which isn't choking and that's kind of kids learning to swallow and sort of you know normal yeah which is normal and then there's um the two kind of categories that we put choking into one of them is effective cough and the other one is ineffective cough so effective cough is the one that um 
is you know obviously most common and less severe so they're still able to cough and their cough is actually the best thing for treatment of their choking because they're going to be able to like we do as adults use the force of the air coming from their lungs to dislodge that object Mm -hmm. it means and it means that air is still traveling from you know in and out so yeah. they're still getting air in and out they're going to be uncomfortable yeah. so don't distressed, them. coughing you don't want to kind of slam their back because what you don't want them to do is get a shock and mm. do a quick indraw of breath right. um what you really want to do is just kind of gently rub their back and reassure them sit them upright keep coughing keep coughing mm. and obviously just keep a really close eye on them mm. if um, you can see the object if it's at reach absolutely grab it with your two fingers so your pincer, pincer. your pincer okay. you can grab it and pull it out but if you can see the object is up the back of the mouth never put your hand in to scoop it because you will lodge it further down the throat yep. yeah so that's important to note let the child bring it up naturally and, and the, the other obviously more concerning um type of coughing mm-hmm. of choking is the ineffective cough mm-hmm. so these kids will or adults will often be silent obviously be very distressed um may have a very small tract of air passing through, but they're unable to to muster that air to do a big cough and dislodge the object. And that's obviously the one that is more concerning and if not treated very promptly um, can kind of lead to, to cardiac arrest. So mm. it's really important that we treat it. And um, what we do, we don't, we don't do the Heimlich manoeuvre anymore, which is where you would, you know, push on the abdominal cavity um because that can cause organ damage and it's not the most effective so what we do is if it's a baby or a child you know who's small enough we put them over our lap with their head facing down so bum higher than the head you want gravity really to be your friend here and then you're going to deliver five back blows with the heel of your hand between their shoulder blades so one two three four Five. And at this point, someone's calling the ambulance. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, sort of just checking between each back blow to see if they dislodge the object. If you haven't, you flip them on their back so that they're, you know, back chest down. So yeah. they're back down, chest up. And then you're going to use two fingers on their breastbone and you're going to give them, again, with their head down, so gravity is your friend, five chest thrusts, two fingers with the baby and the heel of your hand with the child. Um, and you're going to just try and dislodge the object that way. If that doesn't work, you're going to pop them back five, on their five, tummy again. Five, 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 yeah. until the object dislodges yeah. or they pass out and they are unconscious. This is when we are going to start our CPR. So an unconscious child, it's, it's, it's good to note that if, you've, if your child has choked, if you find your child unconscious and not breathing, we don't do 555, five, five, we go straight to CPR. And we do our compressions and our breath. Yeah, so unconscious mm-hmm. choking is always done to CPR, which is, um, yeah, at the least just mm-hmm. really essential to know yeah. how to do, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that the um, actually practising the CPR and practising what to do in a choking situation were real, like they're things that you've kind mm-hmm. of got a physically to practice. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you've explained it really well over here, but I think they're mm-hmm. the things that, Need that course. I really took away from the course yeah. was just, you know, getting your hands on the doll and just to and know how much feel, pressure yeah. to apply and what it feels like when yeah. you're moving air with your breaths and when yeah. you're not, you know, yeah. CPR. And, and when with CPR, what is the rule? What's the ratio of breaths per pat? It's 30 to 2 for babies, children, and adults now, which is a guideline oh. change that's happened in the last mm. maybe 10 years, mm. um, which certainly changed from 
the first time I did first aid because it was 15 to 2. Mm. So that's changed. Um, and a few other things have changed as well. So two breaths. Two breaths to 30 compressions. Okay. Yeah. Um, in the centre, you know, of the in the lower half of your breastbone and you want to do it to 100 to 120 beats per minute, which for us is just the beat of staying alive by the mm. Bee Gees. Um, and then you want to compress to a third of the child's chest mm. depth. Mm. Um, but we would, you know, we really caution against getting CPR advice you know, yeah, from the sure. internet over yeah. a podcast. What did you really say? What did you say about the BGs? Because that's a that's something that would stick in my head. Yeah, so you're going to be doing like, your CPR ah, like ah 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 ah. That's brilliant, and it keeps you. I even do it when I work when I'm doing CPR. It just keeps you in the right rhythm. That's because it's actually quite quick that you've got to do it. Yeah, yeah, a lot more force than you would expect. Yeah, but yeah, I would definitely say I agree. Don't try and teach yourself CPR over YouTube. Don't. Oh as, no. As much as this podcast is just an invaluable <laughs> resource, <laughs> don't try and teach yourself over a podcast. Like it is. Yeah, I can. It's just a bit it, of insight, and yeah. then you need to go and actually do that. Yeah. It's more so to say the importance of yeah. these courses, yeah. and it is because um, it is yeah. quite different to with adults. Um, and another thing I will say is nowadays, if you find someone out in public who's unconscious who requires CPR, they've found. Correct me if I'm wrong. That compressions on their own are nearly as beneficial as compressions That's with right. um, the breaths. So obviously, if you found someone that you don't feel comfortable, you know, being mouth to mouth with which is fine it doesn't mean avoid doing CPR at all it just means do compressions until an ambulance or something arrives Mm -hmm. because it is nearly as effective as if you were doing breaths as well and would you say and I know this will be in your course but I think because it's uh, summer it's a a good question um, with drowning so if you see your child floating in the pool face down what what would you do? So we approach all kind of situations based on an algorithm, which is a really important focus in our course. Um, we go through, it's called Doctors ABC, so assessing danger, assessing if the child is responsive, sending for help, like probably one of the most important steps. Um, then there's ABC, airway, breathing and circulation. Circulation is when you start the chest compression. So um Calling for help early, assessing if they're responsive, opening the airway and clearing of any obstructions, seeing if they're breathing um, or breathing would normally. You on, do you put like? Would you bring them out and put them on their side? Yeah. It all depends on if they're breathing or not. Okay. Yeah. So if are you saying they're not breathing though? Because you found them floating. Well, I would assume they're not breathing if they're face down. Mm. Okay. Yeah. We'll so if that. they're not yeah. breathing, then you would um, you would clear the airway. And you can pop them on the side while you if there's any water or vomit or anything in the right. mouth, and then pop them back onto their back, back again, assessing if they're breathing. And if they're not breathing in this scenario, that's when we start doing our chest compressions. Mm. So we used to look for a pulse, but it's really difficult and it's really inaccurate. So we don't do that anymore. If they're not breathing and they're not responsive, we start CPR. Mm. And with drowning, um, even if they come to straight away, you want to get them to hospital because they can have a, a delayed kind of respiratory um Pneumonitis, they call it. So, yeah. um, like a, a few hours later, yeah, you mm. can get yeah. uh, a lot of water on the lungs, which mm. might need some oxygen. Mm. Yeah, I think another point um, that we speak about as well is keeping a drowning victim warm, um, making sure that we can get towels around them to prevent that hypothermia, because we'll never be able to resuscitate anyone that's cold. So oh. it's important to keep even if it's a hot day, warm. even if it's hot yep. day, anything. Yeah, always get a blanket. Kids yeah. and babies have so much more surface area to organs 
tissue so um they lose heat a lot more quickly so mm. particularly babies really important to keep them warm mm. but kids too um especially if they've been in water mm. for a while mm-hmm. yeah and we'll move on and just do this last one because gab really has to go to work <laughs> she needs to go and <laughs> actually, actually put some life. of this into action <laughs> um just touch on quickly signs of anaphylaxis um yeah things to look out for and just tell us what that is for the plebs. For the plebs, mm. sure. So anaphylaxis is what we define as like a severe allergy. And then um, we also have kind of mild to moderate moderate allergies as well. So we'll start there. Mm-hmm. Um, mild to moderate, you might see some hives. They might have some tingling in their mouth. They might have diarrhea, vomiting. Um, and then it sort of progresses to the signs of severe allergy or anaphylaxis when you've got involvement in the breathing. So wheezing or difficulty breathing, swelling of the tongue. Or the lips, um, and then collapse is another really important one. So we say, um, or the guidelines recommend that um, between the ages of six months and 12 months that you're introducing um, common allergens like tree nuts, peanuts, um, eggs, and um, introducing them and then continuing to give them to your kids twice weekly. Mm. Um, that has been shown to reduce the incidence of developing allergies. Um, and then they say just to do this during the daytime so that you can keep an eye on bub, you know, uh, to look for any signs of an allergic reaction. My and girlfriend had a, um, sorry, my girlfriend had a baby and she wanted to try feeding peanut butter for the first time. So she sat outside the hospital in the car just in case anything happened. It's I did clever. that. Yeah, it's I, I, I did that too. But again, it might not be on the first time you give it to them, but yeah, I did do that. That was something I was going to say. Definitely. Yeah. yeah just, yeah. But also just another thing is I've also had a couple, I think two people now that have attended our courses say, um, what if we rub, can we just rub the peanut butter on their skin and see if they, you know, react to it? No. Don't have rub to peanut butter yeah, on their skin. Well, if they've got a severe anaphylaxis, yeah. the skin may yeah, but, do it, but that's not really Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you don't need to rub it on their skin. Because do well, we rub peanut butter on our skin or do we eat it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. I'm looking at Sophie. She might. You're pregnant. You yeah, do weird things. Do weird things. Um, the, the oil is good for the skin. The thing about yeah. anaphylaxis is you need to have your immune system primed. So what it is is basically an inappropriate purge of all your kind of inflammatory mediators, inflammatory markers. They're basically chemicals that make you swell. Um, and so the body releases that in response to something that it's identified before mm. as dangerous Mm -hmm. so um if you you know the first time that a child has peanut butter is probably not going to be the time that they get an anaphylaxis if they are going to get anaphylaxis to peanut butter it will be the second or the third time yeah Mm. because the body needs to see it meet it get primed and ready and then the next time Mm. it's it recognizes as soon Mm. as it comes in your immune system recognizes Mm. the protein and then just goes buck wild yeah. kind of like a bad date scary, you know right? or a date you know someone you've dated and you're like okay i'm not going to see them again your body's like, oh, it. I'm, like I'm gonna stay away from that yeah. otherwise i thought you were dangerous. like you always give them a second date and then you're like nah this is <laughs> well, real you do shit. you know you often go back well, she, maybe she's on the get better. Yeah. <laughs> you know me that that one thing that i wanted to say with um little kids that have siblings yeah. with um, choking and toys and bits and bobs yeah. I always say to my two older kids if it is smaller than your hand she cannot have it 100%. and it's been a yeah. really clever rule mm-hmm. in our house because mm-hmm. they look at it and they go mummy 
this is smaller than my hand, and I say, well, then she cannot have it. Don't bring it in mm-hmm. the house. So we have two sections. It's uh, their room and the outside area for yeah. little bits and pieces. Yeah. Inside, no go zone. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely educate the older siblings on um, on choking and, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. to keep their toys away. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, Anything I think else? Great. Yeah. I think we've done pretty <laughs> no, well that, covering all those. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming, oh, thank you guys. Thank you very much. Um, Lovely to chat. Yeah. yeah, it was so nice. No, we appreciate it. Yeah. And um, for everyone listening out there, uh, <laughs> Sophie's looking at me like, what are you going to say now? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we will put a link up to your CPR course and I think I might actually book in. Do you do like groups? So like if I had a group of friends, would mm-hmm. you just come to my house and yeah, yeah. we do. That's we do. Really cool. Every few months we do a community course where um, so if you can't find a group of friends to do it with you, you can come to our community course. And usually our Instagram is the best way to keep which an is, eye on those which is first steps community um but we also have on our website um firststepscommunity.com we have private courses and they have we have shorter courses an hour and a half um yeah. up to our full kind of the whole shebang yeah. which is three hours long brilliant um, yeah well done ladies yeah thank you very so, much so yeah. Yeah. yeah thanks awesome thanks for listening to this episode of beyond the bump if you enjoyed it please subscribe and give us a review if you didn't good on you You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.